0: This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's
1: Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Róisín Ingle. Later on, I'm going to be talking to some of the women behind Solstice, a rewilding adventure for women and for men in the Dublin mountains. But first, I'm joined by Irish Times feature writer and columnist Jennifer O'Connell. So, Jen, this is the bit where we talk about what we're listening to, what we're seeing, what we're enjoying culturally. And it doesn't have to be highbrow, it can be very lowbrow because we all need those moments. So, what's on your radar at the moment?
2: Well, I'm glad to hear you say it doesn't have to be <laughs> highbrow because I don't think any of my consumption currently would qualify as highbrow. So, I've just discovered this completely intriguing new podcast, and I'm only a couple of uh, episodes in, but it's called The Shrink Next Door. It just okay. launched in the US, and it's um, this New York Times reporter called Joe Notcherra, I think his name is pronounced. who, And it starts out as this kind of, kind of a, a bit of a snippy bitch fest about this couple that moved into the very gauche vulgar house next door in the in the Hamptons and it's kind of entertaining on that level but then you realise there's something much more sinister going on. And it's real. It's real. So it's, it's one of totally, these real life
1: dramas unfolding.
2: It's a confessional kind of I don't know if you call it a narrative driven piece um, but he, he basically he's gone back and he's talked to all the neighbours and what did you think about them when they moved in? Well all I noticed were the fish ponds and the bridges in the front lawn and it looked totally different than to anything else on our street so you're kind of like oh this will be good on that level but then it turns out um, that this maintenance guy that's been hanging around and I'm, I'm not giving any spoilers away because okay, no this spoilers. is all in episode one but the maintenance guy who's been hanging around the property of this couple whos a, he's a psychotherapist to the stars it turns out that he actually started out years ago being a patient of Dr Ike, who's whos the, the name of the shrink um, and so I'm just completely intrigued because in, in episode one he describes going into their house and seeing photos of Dr Ike on the wall with OJ Simpson and Gwyneth Paltrow so he really was kind of moving in those circles
1: and is Is this guy, Dr. Ike, still there or what way does it work? So I don't know
2: because I'm only... I mean, I'm just wondering how you can do something like that
1: while somebody's, you know, around. Is he dead
2: or... I think, you see, I think in the US they get away with an awful lot more because (laughs) their libel laws are, you know, pretty liberal. So, you know, for example, like the West Cork podcast, a lot of people said, why didn't Irish journalism ever do something like that? And the reason was we couldn't have, really, because uh, our libel laws are, are, are much different. So in the United States, I think you can do it as long as you're being fair and as long as you're basing it on the facts as you understand them you can get away with an awful lot more. So I really recommend it based on kind of two episodes in The Shrink Next Door it's called.
1: Okay I'll be checking that out and then also not very uh, necessarily highbrow.
2: Not at all highbrow. I kind of when when Game of Thrones came to a disappointing um, end in my life I needed something to fill the gap and the kind of urgency so I happened completely blind on Riviera Knowing nothing about it, probably listeners will know that it was written by John Banville and it's uh, directed by Neil Jordan. But I'm glad that I didn't know any of that because I think I probably would have been disappointed. But as it is, I just took it as this kind of trashy Sky uh, series. And I'm, it, it's just, season two is, is been out recently and it's on my new Now TV app, which I love. Um, and I'm completely hooked. I love it. But it is in that kind of, Dynasty era—it's—it's it's that kind of glamour and glitz okay. and um, a lot of a lot of like so nice for switching things. off
1: and escaping that kind of.
2: Totally, yeah. yeah. Pour yourself a glass of wine, sit okay. down and it's it's completely removed from all things Brexit and election related. Well, well so I've just discovered
1: relief. this thing called She's Gotta Have It, which everyone will know the film, the Spike Lee film, She's Gotta Have It from back in the day and that was fantastic. But Spike Lee is now also involved in this original Netflix drama series called She's Gotta Have It about this brilliant character called, her name is Nola Darling. She's this beautiful, sexy artist woman in Brooklyn and she's got all these great friends she hangs around with and also she's got three very interesting lovers because, you know, one is isn't enough for her and it's just a really great enjoyable sort of um, the way I loved Russian Doll because it was kind of different I I like this for the same reason so that's something I would recommend and last night I went to see Cotton Fingers which is this play by the National Theatre Wales written by Rachel Trezise who we actually had on this podcast a few weeks ago and it's a play about a young woman uh, Aoife who has to travel from Belfast to Wales for an abortion and it's a one woman show um, it's in the Samuel Beckett Theatre tonight and tomorrow night and then it goes to the Mermaid uh, Theatre in County Wicklow so I'd really recommend it I think there's a little bit of abortion fatigue here I, I, at the same time we've got the year anniversary but the fact that it's still going on in the north and it's something that's so pressing and we need to be vigilant about and keep uh, campaigning on so I would recommend people to go and see and it And how
2: does it work because I find one woman or one man theatre yeah. can go... Either way.
1: No, it's good. It's a good monologue. The, the character Aoife, played by Amy Malloy, who's an excellent young actor, uh, she's really, you're really warm to her. She's feisty. She's a very working class girl. The language is great. The kind of, the, the um, for Rachel being from Wales, you kind of think, oh, maybe she hasn't quite got the voice right. But she obviously did a lot of research because it's, it's excellent. And yeah, you really feel for her and you're rooting for her. Um, and it's a very ordinary abortion story. So I think that's good because I think Northern Ireland um, perhaps isn't, well, it definitely isn't as far along as we became through telling each other stories and talking to each other about it. I think that still needs to happen there um, because they're still just talking up there in terms of fatal fetal abnormality and, and more um, hard cases. And I think those those cases, which are the majority of women just going to um, England or Wales or Scotland to have abortions um, because they didn't want to be parents, they're not ready to be parents, or they have too many children indeed or, already. Um, and that's what the good news from that, that play would be that uh, in 2017... Northern Irish women don't have to actually pay for um, the procedure now, but they still have to have the travel costs and everything like that.
2: And I, I think, you know, as you say maybe there is a bit of abortion fatigue settling in, but at the same time, you know, you still see people in the United Kingdom who you'd expect to know people mm. who would be well informed, people working in the media like ourselves going, oh my god there isn't I abortion know. rights in, in Northern Ireland. Yeah. You kind of wonder how can people have missed so much? So we feel we've been saturated in it, but the conversation hasn't really been happening. Exactly,
1: elsewhere. and it's interesting in the US context because if you think of Alabama and you think of Missouri and all those places where they're being wrote back, there's a lot of people in England very excellent about that. And yet, you know, right on their doorstep, they're not. And I saw some people saying, oh, that's because the rights were there and they're being rowed back. But I mean, I just don't see that that is something to get more exercised about than people who have never had the rights and need to be given them, you know. And so our, anyway,
2: our, our citizens of, of the United Kingdom.
1: Exactly. So I think that conversation is kind of definitely gaining traction and, and, and hopefully it will continue to do so. And we'll definitely be covering it more and more in the podcast as as the weeks and months go by. Um, and I also wanted to talk to you, Jennifer, about the column you wrote at the weekend about housework.
2: That's right. Because
1: I think, and you describe it in a brilliant way as the uh, hairy... Elephant in the room,
2: the big hairy sexist elephant in the room. Yeah, which exactly. a line that got me into a lot of trouble. When Did it? You, you know yourself, writing from writing columns. Sometimes I do. You write them and you just send it off and you go. Nobody's possibly going to be able to disagree with that one. And then the next thing, your it's Twitter. It's always those ones,
1: actually. It's
2: terrible. Always those ones. They're the ones that get you into the <laughs> yeah. most trouble. I mean, I spent the entire weekend on Twitter trying to manage the the flow. And you know, I, I'm such a people pleaser that I feel like I should respond all the time if somebody. Oh, and I really have to learn how need not, to, to, not do that. to do
1: that because some people. people. People just don't deserve a reply, I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) But uh, anyway, it really, really struck a chord. And I've had a bit of time to think about it since. And I think I probably understand why. But, you know, just like what I was saying really was just that there's statistics out that show that as much as we've gained equality in other areas we're in the boardroom we're doing okay at work. I mean, there's the gender pay gap is still there and all of that. But I think the last big frontier of inequality is is the one at home, the one in the private domestic sphere that we're not talking about. And there was a study done last year which came out and actually didn't didn't get a lot of attention at the time, but I thought it was really interesting, which showed that 90% of Irish women do at least one hour of housework a day. So that would be like ironing or cooking or you know, cleaning up or the washing, the wiping, the spraying, the mopping. God, the you're
1: really turning me off here and this is going to be stopping there Too much talk about the actual stuff. I know, Go it's, on ca- anyway. it's so
2: grim. Nobody wants to talk about it. And that's <laughs> even what I was like, I, I'm writing the column going, look, I know nobody wants to hear about this, but we need to have this conversation. So 90% of women are doing an hour of yeah. like really dull stuff every day and only 50% of men. So that's a big gap, especially at a time when I think more and more people are reliant on a a double income household. So the point that I made in the piece was just, you know, if we're both working in a family, and I'm not talking about families where one person is at home more, and I think everybody has to work stuff out for themselves, but in general... 50-50 Fifty fifty is probably too too much. You know, not too much to ask for. It's probably a reasonable expectation. Mm. And there's studies out in the US that estimate it will be seventy five years before we reach fifty fifty. That's equality. the bit that yeah. jumped
1: out on me. It was very depressing. Now I'm a bit of an anomaly, Jennifer. I have to admit because I very I don't do very much and my boyfriend, partner, father of my children does a lot and I don't think that's fair either but I sort of feel like I'm striking a blow for like, you know, (laughs) I don't know, I, I justify it to myself anyway but obviously the ideal is that everyone's pitching in to the same degree. Like when I met Johnny and I saw his dad, his dad just died actually but ironing in his house the first time I met him I was like yes (laughs) I did a Sheryl Sandberg on it you know the way she says to see what the person does and how they are in their lives to to know with the match and um, yeah so my my partner is very good and, and I can't I see other people and I see them with their really demanding women with their really demanding jobs with children and they have to do all that and then they have to come home and they also have to act as if they don't have another job. You know, it's kind of like you say that this gap and it's not something we talk about as much as we should because it's a huge drain.
2: Yeah, and, and it's, a not, it's not a sexy topic, you know, no. to talk about. But li- like, like you, um, my partner, James, would be really good and Mm. he does you know the first time um, I went on a date with him we went to the supermarket and I was 20 he was 26 and he whizzed around the supermarket he was kind of looking at vegetables and knowing what to buy and buying chicken with bits of bone on that I had never would never (laughs) have dreamed of trying to cook and still to this day I'm not sure how you deal with the bones in chicken when you're cooking it Um, and I kind of went I think this could be going somewhere Um, and 20 years (laughs) more on um, you know he's still fantastic but I get told a lot how lucky I am and I kind of push back against that because I think actually We're probably fairly close to 50-50 in that, um, you know, we don't do like I do 20 minutes of hoovering and then he takes the hoover for 20 minutes. It doesn't work like that. But I would do pretty much all the cleaning that needs to be done around the house, which is, um, you know, we're not necessarily very clean. um, But he would do most of the cooking. um, And then the the kids stuff is probably split between us depending on who's where on a given day. So some weeks he'll probably do 80% of everything and other weeks I might, you know. So it it, kind of works out. Um, And I think the point is that like couples should, figure it out for themselves. But the feedback that I got from that column um, really surprised me. There were a huge number of women, which I probably would have anticipated going, thank you for saying this, and I'm worn out and I'm sick of it. And, you know, I'm coming home after a long day at work and I'm facing into everything and I'm getting very little help or whatever help I get, I have to ask, Mm. which is very annoying and very frustrating. And I think a lot of women, even ones in more egalitarian households, would find that they're kind of the project manager of the house. And I'd fall into that trap a little bit myself where I, it's probably me too. I kind of take over and and delegate and decide what needs to be done and then maybe sit back and don't deliver quite as much. <laughs> but it's sort of 60%, I think, of the responses. I'd say, you know, I probably got like several hundred responses. Um, so in or around two thirds, we'll say, were women going, you know, thanks for saying it and it, it needed to be said and that's great. And probably around 10% were men going, um delighted you said this, lots of men are really lazy. But the remaining 30% uh, were just absolute vitriol. And from men? From men. Um, one woman, I think, and, and the rest of them were all men. And they were, you know, it was really like quite a high level of abuse. I was called the C word and uh, and a prostitute and all kinds of things. Some of the men who, you know, had their na- their real names on their Twitter accounts, and uh, including one teacher, actually. Um, oh, really but good. yeah, but it really, it really touched a chord. And you know, I was thinking about it afterwards, and I was thinking, I suppose it's really. You're, you know, to have this conversation and, and to talk about it, you're really diving into the kind of the murky realms of people's private lives and what really goes on at home. And it's something that everybody is understandably really sensitive about. Um, and I'm not saying that, every, you know, I'm not I'm not saying anything that anybody has to do anything. But I think if you're having that kind of reaction as a man, when you hear somebody saying that, like, maybe housework should be split mm-hmm. more along the lines of 50 50. Maybe it's time to have a conversation with your partner about, you know, what it is and what their perception is, because a lot of um, a lot of the the more recent research shows that um, the culture of fatherhood has changed. So a lot of the conversation that men have about being dads and a lot of how they see themselves as dads has changed. And they're really much more um, embracing fatherhood than their own fathers would have done. So they're like pushing buggies and they're picking the kids up from the crash when they're sick and they're, you know, bringing them to school after school activities. And, and you, you know, like I've got quite a lot of male friends who I would see doing that and I think are fantastic. Um, but it's the boring hard slog that they're not necessarily getting stuck into to the same extent.
1: But it's just such a gender thing, I still think. Just that the idea of women cleaning, being domestic sort of slaves, it's so ingrained. And even though, like, yes, you said there's so many men doing so many great things and getting involved in parenting that part of it is still part of our society. You know, the men take out the bins. That's that's the housework that men do. And, yeah. and, you know, women. And So I always think it's really interesting to look at. We're talking obviously about heterosexual couples here, but looking at, you know, gay couples, whether it's lesbians or gay men or whatever, that they have to, they divide things up, not on any kind of gender roles, that they talk about probably who's best at this, who likes cooking, who doesn't, who, who loves the ironing. Because some people, some weird people, I believe, actually like ironing. You know, and it's it is an actual conversation Instead of just an assumption that you, as the woman, will do a lot of this stuff, um, so I think we have a lot to learn. Yeah, uh, from and gay I, I'd lo- on this I would regard. love to—I'd
2: love to know more about that actually. And it's something maybe you know we should think about doing features on. Yeah. Uh, but um, because I didn't hear from any gay couples at all in, in the responses on Twitter, and the article was about heterosexual couples, um, but I'd be fascinated to know because I think a lot of the time we just you know unconsciously we've inherited some of these roles, and I know that you know both my husband and I, for all that we regard ourselves as kind of. Fairly progressive in in matters of, of running the household and raising the kids and stuff. There are things that both of us have inherited from our own backgrounds and you know for a long time um, it took a really long time to sort out kind of having open conversations about money and stuff like that because um, my in my husband's family the the father would have made the decisions about the money and there wouldn't have been a whole lot of conversation so that was something we had to sort of work out for ourselves. Um, and I still notice that the the emotional labour as we call it um, which which is just you know all of the kind of the planning and the organising and everything I assume that's my job and he assumes that's my job and I probably am a little bit more anal and a, a little bit more organised um, but I think yeah I'd love to know what happens in couples Well there's couples, an, an amazing
1: bit. article that I read a couple of years ago in The Atlantic about exactly that So I think it would be fasc- fascinating to go because I just think there's more conversation and there's no assumptions because if you're both the same gender you're not going down that road at all you're just saying okay what are you Good at what am I good at? What you like to do, and also the same in terms of career breaks and things like that. That it's not just assumed that the woman is going, especially if the, if the gay couple have ch- children, that it's not an assumption of which partner is going to take care. It's a it's a conversation.
2: Yeah, and so, I think and we we have completely shattered. I think a lot of the, the the stereotypes about only women being good at caring and only women being being able to do. And I you know and I and I think that that's just been eroded away because you see men doing an amazing job with kids of all ages. But I do think there's still and one of the things that I that I mentioned in the article. On and I, I think that women need to have a bit of a look at ourselves in the mirror here, is that a lot of women are guilty, I think, of infantilizing their male partner and saying... Um, and I got a bit of that in the responses that I got to, to this article, sort of saying, well, there'd be no point in him doing it because I'd have to go around after oh, him and redo it, which drives me <clears> insane. And it's also, so
1: what, at least it's done. It might not be done as perfectly as you'd like it, but just that's good. It yeah. means you don't have to do it.
2: And there's, it's yeah. not rocket science. You know, there's no. no special qualifications required for spraying a bottle of Dettol down the kitchen table and wiping <laughs> up after it. You know, I've taught my 11 <laughs> year old to do it. And God, yeah, so, I wish yeah. I could
1: teach my 10 year olds <laughs> to do it. That would be great. They're sort of taking after me instead of taking after their father, which is not that is, good there for is. their future (laughs) partners Um, so I think we've talked enough about housework Mm. I just I noted one um, report Uh, it was in uh, one of the newspapers this week a professor of behavioural science Paul Dolan has concluded that while men benefit from marriage women don't married women are not happier they don't live longer the healthiest and happiest population subgroup are women who never married so there you Interesting. go, Interesting. What do you think of that? Well, he said that at the Hay Festival, and he's a scientist. Yeah, so do you know what? True. I'd say
2: it's true. Like I, I would say it's true, and not that I'm saying that I personally would be happier if I'd never had of a course relationship. Not. <laughs> but I do think for women, and um, you know, you you are kind of entering into this bargain with yourself, where you, you know, wh- where you kind of think, well, maybe some of those ambitions that I had in my twenties, I'm not going to get to fulfill them now, because it is a bit of an either or for us. You know, you kind of go, well, now I am having kids. I've made the decision. I've had one. I'm probably going to go on and, and have more, um, and then. you sort of have to go well what am I prepared to sacrifice because really I think we were sold a bit of a pup when I was growing up and when when we were in our teens the world seemed to be our oyster for a brief time before reality kicked in where we really thought we could genuinely have a a fulfilling career have a really happy home life um, have friendships get out and, and keep fit and Follow our passions and have hobbies and travel and all of that, and we'd be able to do it all because, you know, that's what we were told, and that was kind of the promise of feminism. And then when you get into the reality of it, you realize, I think, fairly quickly that you can't do everything yeah. that you wanted to do. I'm
1: just thinking, I'm going to launch Rosita Boland's book tonight elsewhere and she's going to be on the podcast soon. She's written this incredible book of uh, travel essays, but it's, it's more than that. It's, it's it's a memoir too. And she has, talks very movingly about that, about sort of the expectations placed on women and, you know, to, to reproduce and, and to settle down and to tether yourself with, to somebody. And, you know, and, and she had longed for children and that didn't happen for her. But it's really great the way she speaks about kind of, you know, women being have all types of different scenarios and, and to getting away from this idea of what we think women should be and who they're supposed to be. And also the judgment society places because she's had comments over the years from people, you know, about why she didn't have children or, you know, one person says to her like, oh, you don't have children, you must have a dog or you must have a cat. Like, it's this kind of shaming almost of people who haven't gone down that road. I'm, I'm hoping that now... We're, we're in a different place where we can understand that women can be fulfilled. And in fact, as this report says, can often be very, very happy. Thank you very much. Yeah,
2: isn't that so interesting? And, <laughs> and the converse as well. There was another report um, out during the week that uh, it was by JWT, which sort of talked about women and their attitudes and, and how they feel about um, being parented parenthood and that kind of thing. Um, but they said... 50% of Irish women believe women who don't have children get more opportunities in the workplace than those that do. And I think that's probably, you know, I think I would certainly say that women who don't have children probably get more opportunities in the workplace. And I don't think that that's necessarily just institutional bias or, or organisational issues. I think a lot of it is kind of, it's almost like a self-selection thing that's going on. And and I know that, you know, particularly when my kids were a bit younger, I would have consciously stepped away from opportunities. Um, and maybe a bit of it was me hiding behind my own stresses and anxieties about not being able to to live up to, you know, what I would have liked to do. But definitely the kids were there and they were, you know, it was always in my mind and I, I left a job at one stage a year in because, um, and it was kind of, it had been my dream job, but I just, I couldn't make it work with the kids anymore and yeah. that was with the release. Really well I think, partner. I hope
1: the future is, and you were seeing it a little bit more, that the, that the idea of men stepping away from opportunities in order to do that stuff will start to happen a little bit more and you know, I think we saw Diageo giving uh, loads of parental leave recently um, to men as well, that's happening a bit more and whether men are taking it up is another question but as we get used to the idea that it's not just women who are going to have to make these sacrifices or step back from things. And sometimes women will want to, and that's fine, but as long as both um, partners in a heterosexual couple, we have to keep stressing are 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 making those choices, then I think it's better, because I think the problem a lot of the time has been that it's all on the woman. And it's inevitable that because a woman has children that she's going to kind of somehow subsume herself. It doesn't necessarily have to be woman who think And I that. think,
2: I, I, you know, when we have these conversations, I really feel like sort of saying over to you now, men, because we have, you know, <laughs> women are great <laughs> I at, don't know
1: how many listen to the podcast, but maybe we can Yeah,
2: have. but, you know, and, and sometimes when I write about these things, I get men coming back to me going, yeah, but what about men? And what about men who want to spend time with their kids? Absolutely. And we're left out of the, out of the yeah. story. But I think, you know, men maybe need to learn from us. We've been really good at sharing our real life stories and our real experiences to achieve that kind of social change and maybe men need to step up to the plate now and say, you know, and my own husband is doing it this week because we've had a a, a sudden and unexpected gap in our childcare um, and you know he was in work yesterday and he had to say look I've got you know I've got to go and do the school runs I've got nobody to, to pick up the kids um, and come and do that but it's, I think it's much much harder for men to do that but I know he feels that he can do that because at one point earlier on in his career he had a boss who, a male boss who would regularly interrupt meetings and go need to go you know I've got to pick yeah, up one of my kids I think
1: and, it's, it'd be great to hear more men doing that actually on, and on that note and I'm sure there are some men listening and also some women who might share this with their men folk god what a word uh, Finian Murphy has an organisation called On Fire Ella where he's, he's doing exactly that he's collecting these stories from men and he's doing great work so there is a, a place for it and I think we'll see more of it so it's a good note to end on a positive note but um, yeah have you got much housework on this weekend? Do you think?
2: I, I don't think I'll be doing any this weekend and I won't be opening the front door if it rings either because <laughs> I don't want anybody coming in but I think yeah you know it, it is and it's just it's just great to be having these kind of conversations and I don't know if you read Hilary Fannin's um, article column there last week um, it was a really poignant look at what happens to women who come out the other end of it and suddenly you are left feeling a bit rudderless and that's you know we need to not forget that as well that's yeah. another phenomenon that if you put everything on hold to care for your kids and your and, and that's your family. whole
1: life when you come out the other side, when none of that is needed and you're not needed. She talked about that woman in that article about being lonely yeah. and not ever expecting to feel lonely, but she does. So there are consequences as well. It's a beautiful well.
2: read and I'd recommend it to yeah. people to go and look it up.
1: OK, well, Jennifer O'Connell, it's been lovely talking to you. I hope you'll come back and tell us again. Enjoy the rest of Riviera. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm going to definitely listen to that, um, The Shrink Next Door, is it?
2: Yeah, so good. OK.
1: The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. Now I'm joined in the studio by Carol McInerney, a movement therapist and meditation teacher, Siobon Depuir, a poet and performance artist, and Kathy Scott of the Trailblazery, who are all here to tell me about Solstice, a one day rewilding event in the mountains. And what is rewilding, I hear you ask? Well, it's an adventure that exists somewhere between a holistic retreat in the wilderness and an uncivilized summer school that is designed to rekindle our connection with our untamed natures Solstice is organised by Trailblazery a cultural agency dedicated to creatively activating the spirit of our times Kathy Scott I'll come to you first this rewilding takes place the weekend of the summer solstice on June 22nd at Orla Estate in the Dublin Mountains so what is it all about?
3: Well we've been producing events at the Trailblazery for about 10 years now um, we've produced events all over Dublin and around the country and uh, And I really felt this year that I wanted to do something kind of different. Uh, I have been producing a stage at Body and Soul called Wanderlust, which I've really loved. Um, But it's kind of like, be careful what you wish for. But because I found myself about two months ago driving up a huge driveway uh, to a meeting in a house uh, hidden away in the Dublin mountains. And the goose, I got goosebumps on my arms and I kind of went, maybe this is the place because it kind of felt like home. Um, And what I'd wanted to do is really invite people to come together to experience their wild selves. Um, It's a rewilding adventure, I guess you would call it. It's not a retreat. It's not a festival. But what I'd like to call it is it's an uncivilized summer school. I love
1: that. (laughs) Because there's too many very civilised summer schools in this country.
3: (laughs) We get so tamed and we get so kind of shut down. So this is really about kind of returning to the wilds, but also harnessing our connection to nature. And this house that I came across on 100 acres in the Dublin Mountains feels like the perfect place to host us. So what it is in a nutshell Uh, I've brought 10 really um, talented wisdom keepers together. So those 10 people are going to guide everyone who comes through the day. So it's a one day experience. We'll be um, experiencing things like foraging, crafting, yoga, dance. There'll be ceremony and ritual. And then my friends at the amazing Fumbly Cafe are going to do a full sit down, hopefully outdoor, Dining experience. Weather permitting. Weather permitting. (laughs) The great thing about this house is that we can bring it all indoors if we need to. So it's a chance for people to dip their toes in the water and find a way through because we have become so civilized in a way. Um, And I think everyone is waking up right now with the advance of, you know, Extinction Rebellion, whether it's through, through Greta Thunberg or through David Attenborough. And this is a way to kind of experience that aliveness that is there in the earth and that is part of us and I should say it's
1: not just for women even though there's a lot of women involved in it you're also welcoming guys too absolutely you're not
3: and everyone here today is doing women's work I've been running an event called Moon Medicine that has been out the door this year which has been moving like a procession around Dublin and it was really those women who were saying to me what about our fellas what about our brothers uncles dads partners so this is definitely a joint venture hosted by women and men so lads are really well
1: Okay, well I'm quoting from your press release here and it says the summer solstice is a time for wildness, fecundity, sensuality, and pleasure. It's not a, a tantric tantric sex workshop or anything like that. Maybe maybe <laughs> next year. <laughs> We have some of your wisdom keepers here who are going to talk to us about their part in in this. Sounds like a really wonderful event. So, um, Carol McInerney, um, you are a movement meditation person, both of those things. So what are you going to be guiding people through on this very interesting day experience yeah well
4: we're going to be uh we're going to be bringing our attention into the body so connecting connecting with this part of ourselves that doesn't get a lot of a look in in our modern Mm. regular everyday life um so as we connect in just to uh, help the mind relax uh, relax the heart a little bit more come down into our connection to the earth really so So we're working a lot from the understanding that our bodies are made of the same substance as the earth. And as we connect back in there, we can feel the ground underneath us. That gives us a good sense of support, sense of safety, so we can relax and just let our natural selves come out. So it's a lovely part of this uh, rewilding experience is to to connect back into what's really true inside of us, because we have a lot of Culture has a lot of pressures, conditioning, society puts
1: a lot on top of us. So just a chance to feel who we really are inside. I'm just thinking, listening to both of you, that like there's some people listening might be going, oh, it all sounds very hippy-dippy. I can't handle it. Which, OK, that's probably a fair comment <laughs> yeah. in some ways. But like you mentioning there, the pressures that are on people and and the kind of very rigid way we live, whether it's socialising or the or just or working, it's all very much this is what we do. To, to step outside of our comfort zones a little bit is good and to do things that might not be uh, you know, we're not as familiar with. So are those the kind of people that you'd be trying to reach? Maybe people who feel like, OK, there's something wrong, but I'm not sure what it is and I don't really know what to do. And they can maybe go and try something different.
4: Well, it's looking to make it accessible for, for everybody. We all, we all live in a body. We all have a mind. We all have emotions. We all have a way of relating to life. So it's just including, maybe just widening our experience a little bit more to include some things that mightn't be part of our everyday life, but that are, are, are part of who we are. Mm. Inside And in my experience, it's very uh, settling and very liberating for people uh, to move, to, to, to feel themselves in the body, to um, have that sense of connection to themselves and to others mm. in a very simple way, because we're all in a body. We all move, you know, so just allowing that to lead a little bit um, and let, to let the mind relax because mm. we get stuck there.
1: Yes, we do. And Siobhan de Puere, you're also one of these wisdom keepers. I'd love to be called a wisdom keeper. It's great <laughs> yeah, when you yeah, all it's get great. some It's excellent. And you're involved in something called rewilding, which is a word we're hearing a little bit more about lately. And Kathy mentioned this will be a rewilding adventure. So what does that mean?
0: I think um, the ails, we're, the sickness of our society is, um, we've traced it now back to a root of separation from nature. So if that's the root and we reconnect with nature, then many other things just heal themselves. And this is sort of um, a realisation now that has penetrated the collective consciousness. So that's why real wilding is taken off like wildfire, you know? And I mean, like, we're also discovering that we were originally wild. That is our source. Mm. So returning to our wildness is is returning to our source and um, it has profound effects on uh, on every aspect of your life and indeed, indeed on mine What's your own rewilding story?
1: Oh, by the way I'm loving your gorgeous West Kerry accent, I could just, send are sending me to sleep there when, it's in a, a good way <laughs>
0: it's, a, it's a bit of a mix between Waterford, uh, Kelly oh, okay. and India where uh-huh. I spent a bit too much time uh, <laughs> The my rewilding story, I suppose, you know, it started, uh, I was out working for the Irish Catholic on the Nase Road. I was in the media for years and uh, I had uh, an existential crisis precipitated by a very charismatic Lithuanian man. <laughs> and uh, I was sitting there by the, I was living in Raka. I was sitting there by the Dada River um, with my own suffering. As
1: we all do, not necessarily beside the daughter, yeah. but we sit wherever yeah. we... Yeah, yeah, he um. was,
0: yeah. Uh, he wasn't, he wasn't, um, he was married. And uh, <laughs> so, and hence the suffering. And I uh, I, real, I had the realisation that my suffering was caused by my resistance to it and that my relief would come in surrender. So it was one of those moments, you know. And this realisation kind of propelled me all the way I left the job, uh, I packed in the job a week later and I applied for a visa for India and ended up in Nepal mostly for two and a half years, and a half years, well, nearly a year in India, so I was gone. And I went then then from becoming kind of uh, spiritually retarded to becoming a spiritual retard because I went into this Buddhist trip, you know, where there's a... you, you, it's a common pitfall of the spiritual journey where you go too far down that path and you start to negate all the human experience and you you discover your transcendental nature and you deny your human nature um, and you shun the material world and I kind of, I did this because they were all doing it out there. <laughs> and then I came home and it was only really when I came home and landed down on my native soil that, um the realizations started to the seeds started to mature and to uh to sprout, and that um it, i it wasn't not in the environment of my family home, as you can imagine that was a little bit more uh, challenging <laughs> uh nor was it in the city of Cork where I went afterwards, but eventually in the West Kerry coastline. I I put a tent into the back of the Ford Puma that I'd bought off a a Burundi a, a Burundian who drove into the car one day with a Ford Puma into the yard and said would you like that and I took it and I I went there to West Kerry just with the tent and I was down I put up my tent in this place Kosenane the the coast the harbour of the small boat Nane and drove up the road. After spending an, a, quite an extraordinary weekend there, just camping on my own, house for let. 200 euros was the rent for the month. In I went, and uh, down, that was three, three years ago. And would you believe down the road was living Dear Midling, the man I, yeah, am now, is now the father of my child. So and down the road, I mean, this is the back arse of nowhere. Like I was in and he's in Balancale. Like you know, these are paroshdas. Like and we were down the road from each other, and that's you know, and he was at the same on the same journey of Kanasu with the healing, you know, the same journey with the Irish, because the Irish was very much a part of this journey, and uh, it was when I went to West Kerry that I started to speak it. So
1: you this was you answering the story of what is rewilding so yes. was that what you found when you went to Kerry mm. you, that learning how to live in the way that felt most natural to you yeah. and your wildness was rekindled and mm. yet it wasn't um, totally overwhelmed by just a spiritual way where that mm. was everything so you find a found a balance really mm. in the middle somewhere
0: mm. it's a grounding
1: and you'll be talking about that at this uh, event then
0: well that informed what I what we'll do um it's an Irish language journey into, to connect with the trees and with the elements in ritual. I mean, ritual is the four directions, which are the four elements. And the elements, as the Buddhist teaching goes, everything in existence is made up of a combination of those elements, including ourselves. So if we understand our own elemental nature that we understand the elemental nature of the uh, the planet and we understand that we are one in the same you know this homid fit to foot in the kile you know and when that understanding comes then uh, you you've been rewilded
1: I love it. Mm -hmm. Cathy,
3: are we able to rewild ourselves in one day? It seems like a lot to take on just in one day. It's definitely a taster. (laughs) I have been wanting to do summer school for so long and uh, kind of looking at the other summer schools like the McGill in Ireland, are going, I'd love to do something completely different. (laughs) Um, So we're we're testing the waters, Roisin. The solstice is a really important time of year because our ancestors would have, it was a jubilant kind of, fecund time and it's the solar power the power of the sun so it felt like you know that that date was free in this particular venue and also Daniel O'Connell used to uh, host meetings in this venue so it's got quite a fabled history um so the the answer is we'll see. We're gonna run it for one day this year from midday till ten PM. There'll be live music, there'll be food, there'll be foraging classes, rewilding and a bit of whatever you're having yourself. There's definitely going to be crack. It's not, you know, okay. very That's heavy and serious. Hear. Yeah. A <laughs> lot of fun is encouraged. Um and and really letting go of anything we think we know. It's really an exploration and there's gonna be parts of the day that are free so it's not uh, you don't have to do mm. everything mm. yeah, mm. yeah. Right.
1: what are you looking forward to most about it
4: uh, I think I'm looking forward just to, to the journey and taking that, uh, that time with people to meeting new people um, hanging out in a really gorgeous place mm. um, eating lovely food trying out some new
1: things and how much does this all cost Cathy because it sounds like there's a lot going on yeah so. we
3: had an early bird at the moment the tickets are 140 for the whole day which includes a sit down meal um, and then the tickets go up I think at the end of the, of May to 150 per person but we also have reduced rates for kids it's kid friendly um, and all the details are on my website which is www.thetrailblazery.com I'm sure we can put a link up
1: I can put a link up but it sounds amazing it sounds very unique uh, in terms of summer schools you wouldn't be getting that at McGill there'd be no rewilding going on at McGill I'd say there'd be a lot more women at it than there there is in the McGill although they're trying to pull their socks up in that regard they're trying to
3: pull their socks up yeah I mean a bit of rewilding wouldn't go astray in McGill maybe they'll give me a gig next year (laughs)
0: yeah It's a
3: practical thing also, you know,
0: learning, where my rewilding came in was to learn the names of the flowers and what their uses are, to learn the names of the trees and what their uses are, to forage wild food you can sustain yourself. You know, these are the body, how the body works with breath, so it... Although it seems airy fairy, it's extremely practical knowledge and it's actually the most useful knowledge you can have. Mm. Well, thank you all
1: very much for coming in and telling me about it. Thank and you. the thank best you, of it thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for today. Thanks to our guests this week Carol McInerney, Cathy Scott, Siobhan Dupuyer, and Jennifer O'Connell. And just a reminder that Solstice will take place at Orla Estate in the Dublin Mountains from 12 pm to 10 pm on Saturday, June 22nd. Tickets for the day cost €140 including a sit-down dinner catered by the Fumbally Café and reduced rates are there for children. You can find out more on thetrailblazery.com where all the details are. And just to say that the women's podcast won't be at um, the solstice because on that day we will be at Body and Soul doing our thing down there on the woodland stage in the middle of the forest. So I hope many of you can join us and even if you can't we'll be playing that podcast for you in subsequent days. And Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. And if you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast, or you can email us on Podcast at irishtimes.com. Also, we do enjoy a bit of praise from time to time. So if you like what we do, then please head along to iTunes and give us a review. The podcast is produced by myself, Rosine Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thanks for listening.